Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. I really want to thank all of you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I want to thank all of you that have been praying with me and for me as I was in Washington, D.C. once again this week. I felt such strength in our family and such clarity, such anointing. Um, had no idea that I would be back in Washington once again this week. I had no plan. Um, we were planning, putting everything together for our, our team to head out for Israel tomorrow morning. And um, we are so excited. I, I'm just, I'm overjoyed that we're getting ready to, my wife and I are leading a team of 38 incredible, 38 incredible, come on, incredible. Everybody but three of us have been to, uh, I'm sorry, I, want to, I almost said that backwards. There's only three of us that have ever been to Israel before, including me. There's 35 people that have never been to Israel before. They're about to experience coming into Jerusalem and being on the Mount of Olives. And it's going to be a mighty time. But I got the call this week. Really, the summons from the Holy Spirit to return to Washington, D.C. Once again for Brett Kavanaugh's hearing. Such a time of intensity, spiritual intensity, true warfare for the very soul, the very destiny of our nation. The very destiny, the very soul of our nation. I know the media is... They're selling a very strong delusion, but I'm not buying. We're on our way to an extraordinary victory. Don't be duped. Don't be fooled. The enemy knows his time is short. Powers and principalities know their time is short too. The game changer has come. It's a different time. We're really heading to an ultimate comeback. An ultimate comeback. I just want to say, I really want to thank all of you for praying for me. I, I truly felt the strength of your prayers and the anointing such clarity and uh, honestly I'm I'm still I, I'm, I'm processing so much right now I have so much to process and I'm continuing to process um, just the wonder of God that that he placed me in that room this week is indescribable indescribable but I want to thank you you know, there's something very important about the local church. Listen to my heart, okay? Please, please hear my heart. There's something very important about the local church. I love the local church. You know, every time I go back to my hometown in Cornfield, USA, in Illinois, I always, I always slip into my old church. My mind goes many places when I go there. 
so many years, so many wonderful years of God pouring out His Spirit, learning how to walk with God, learning how to grow in the Lord, being taught the Word. I can see my family and my mom and dad, my brother and I, worshiping the Lord. I always go back to my my home church when I'm in town. I've always loved the home church. I've always loved the local expression of the church. It's so vitally important. Honestly, I couldn't wait for tonight. I couldn't wait for tonight. I couldn't wait to get here. I look forward to this. I long for this because we're a family. We're a family. And it's important for us to be together. It's important for us to be one. But there's something that the Lord is wanting to do amongst us that is just far surpassing than just what we have known as the revelation of the church of being a family. And that's the Lord turning us truly into an embassy. An embassy of the kingdom of God. Where His kingdom has its expansion and expression and power that we begin to take territory as the embassy of God. You, you literally are the walking, living embassy of the Lord. You have become... You have become the ark of His presence. I want to say that again. You have become the ark of His presence. You are the tabernacle of His glory. You are the one who He's enthroned in. But the corporate anointing that happens here is very different from an individual anointing. There is a corporate anointing. And the revelation that God is wanting to take us into is to establish a true embassy which is a kingdom stronghold that advances the kingdom and the glory of God throughout a city and a region. We have territory to take. I'm glad two of you are excited about that tonight. We have territory to take. We have an inheritance. We have mountains to take. We have a nation to take, a nation to win back, a nation to restore and redeem. It's God's dream. Out of Israel would, be, would come a Savior to the world, but out of America would go the beacon of the shining of the, of the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of glory to the ends of the earth. We have to be realigned to our spiritual destiny for this earth. That's why Satan has fought so hard to take this nation out and take it down. Did I tell you Matthew 5? Did I do that yet? I've just looked down and thought, okay, i got to get to this. Um, before we go there, I... Um, I guess I could talk all night. I could just let it just flow out of my heart about the experience of Washington this week. But it was extraordinary. And after the hearing, after I left the the Heart Senate building, I went back to my hotel room. I was just overcome with emotion. I wept for everybody involved, truthfully. 
And I, I wept rivers and rivers of tears for our great nation. I love our nation. I love America. I wept for everyone involved. Oh, how we need the Lord. How, how we need the mercies of God. We need Jesus to save America, folks. had some really, um, really intense confrontations. And throughout this whole week building up, I, I did not know I was going back to Washington. And the Lord kept saying to me, and he's been saying to me this for quite a while, son, there's a divine confrontation coming. A divine confrontation of evil is really coming. A divine confrontation of evil is really coming. And the Lord's been talking to me about his, his handiwork and His patience in my life and His working to get me prepared for this hour and for this day of divine confrontation, of victory for our, our, our land, our nation, our inheritance. Several days ago, um, the Lord just directed me to go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and I was... I was in those scriptures, and we're about to literally go to Mount Carmel in just a few days where the fire of God came down upon that altar with Elijah. And the Lord kept me in that passage concerning Ahab and Jezebel and the corruption and wickedness of the nation. And a divine confrontation had finally come, and Elijah stepped forward to deal with it. And for days, the Lord was just on me for preparation. And after I had gotten the call and was invited to go back to Washington, D.C. to be there for the hearing, a friend of mine here at the church, she sent me a, an email, said, Pastor, have you seen this? And I think some of you were aware of the uh, colonnade of the actual gates of the Temple of Baal that they set up on the Washington Mall Monday of this week. The occultists of the world bring this around the country so that they can begin to release, honestly, what they believe is releasing portals to release those demon hordes into nations so that nations become subjugated to those spirits. And my wife and I were praying that night. We were actually praying about our final decision. Should I go? Should I stay? We had so much to do for Israel. Should I go? Should I stay? I received that email. And the Lord said, you're to go, son. Yesterday, about, <clears throat> yesterday about 3.30 in the morning, I got out of bed. I got ready. I took my bags to the Washington Mall. I was dragging my bags behind me, and I went there. Had a very unique experience. Those of you that know the story in 1 Kings concerning Josiah, there was a young prophet that came, and he literally cried out against an altar where incense was being offered to false gods. He literally cried out against an altar, and it burst in half, and it's an epic story, and he prophesied the day of Josiah coming. He, that young prophet literally prophesied that Josiah was coming 300 years before King Josiah was ever born. And Josiah led the greatest revival in Israel's history, cleansing it 
cleansing it of the false gods and the false altars. I went there, and many of you were praying with me. And we shut those gates. We shut those gates. It is forbidden. It is forbidden. Matthew 18, 18, he said, whatever you forbid is already forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit is already permitted in heaven. It is not permitted here. It is forbidden. And we open the gates for the Lord, the King of glory, to come in. And we close the gates to that spirit of Ahab. It is cut off. That spirit of Jezebel, that spirit of Baal, it is cut off. It has no right. It has no right. We're in an epic battle. It is an epic warfare. But we're going to win. We're going to win. You're in Matthew 5, right? One of my favorite, one of my favorite movies is a is a movie with Mel Gibson. It's called The Patriot. It's one of my all time favorite movies, and Mel Gibson stars as a man. is In the story, his name is Benjamin Martin. And Benjamin Martin's home. He finds himself where literally the Revolutionary War has come to his doorstep with cannons and fire and blood and. It's horrific, and the war has now come to his doorstep. The story goes on, and him and his oldest son, Gabriel, they have an assignment, and they have to build a rebel militia to begin to fight with the American forces against the British Army. In the movie, there's a very moving, moving moment. And in this particular village, a pastor is walking out now with the militia soldiers. And he's leaving and walking into the woods to go fight under George Washington. This is historically accurate because in the Revolutionary War, there were many, many, many pastors that left their pulpit to go fight to secure the victory for our nation. It was called the Black Robe Regiment. Pastors all over the 13 colonies literally left their pulpits to go and fight under George Washington. In the movie, the pastor is walking out of the village, and one of, one of the congregants says to him, Pastor, where are you going? Pastor, what are you doing? Where are you going? And the pastor turns, he takes his head off, and he says, sometimes shepherds have to stay and protect the flock. But at other times, they have to go and fight off the wolves. I believe it's a spiritual word right now for us. Because I love the local church. There's a time to love the sheep. Tend for the sheep. Care for the sheep. Feed the sheep. Protect the sheep. But this is also a time for us to go and fight off the wolves for the very soul of our nation. You're going to see me continue to come in and out of victory, back and forth to Washington. You need to understand, 
There's great purpose in it. And it's the Lord's bidding. So just share me, please. Share me and just be generous and give, okay? Just be generous with me and God will give us the pastoral leadership in this house, the pastoral team to feed the flock. And I'll do what I'm supposed to do for our team. Amen? Amen. Thanks, Cody. Come on, give it up for Cody and the worship team tonight. Jesus said we are to be salt and we are to be light. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verses, I'm going to begin in verse 13. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation tonight. 5 and 13, he said, How blessed are you when you make peace. For then you will be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are when you bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right. For that is when you will experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy. <laughs> Since your heavenly reward is great, for you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Your lives are to be like salt among the people. But if you, like salt, become bland, how can, you, how can your saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out, and it will be trampled on by others. Your lives light up the world. Verse 14. Let others see your light from a distance. Or how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's a place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. I want to say that again. So don't hide your light. Come on, Victory. Don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that it is commendable the things that you do. You will shine as light among them, and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. What does it mean to be a believer that is salt and, and, and light? What does it mean to be a believer that is salt and light? See, Jesus used this concept of salt and light, and he used it in a number of different times to refer to something. And ultimately, being salt and light is referring to our God-given assignment. It is given to our God-given purpose, your, your assignment. Take this personal tonight. You're to be salt and light. It is your assignment. It is your role. It is your responsibility as a follower of Christ. This is what Jesus is pointing to. Salt was used for two purposes in the Middle East in the first century. First of all, there was no refrigeration. Now think about that. There was no refrigeration. Salt was used to preserve food. Write it down, preserve it was written, it was given to preserve food, which would quickly spoil in the environment of the desert. Think about that. 
Yet Jesus is giving us a picture. Believers need to be literally the preservation of the world. Believers, come on, take this personal tonight. Believers have to be the preservation of a culture that is turning so wicked and so evil. I'm sending you out to be salt to literally preserve the nation, to literally preserve your community and your city. That is inherently evil. Ungodly men, unredeemed natures in this time with the corruption of sin growing at a level that we've never dreamed. He's sending us out as salt. What are we to do? We are to preserve. We are to be the standard bearers pointing to Christ. I was there, and many of you watched when when Brett Kavanaugh spoke of personal prayer time, and it was spoken to to millions of hearts throughout the United States of America watching coast to coast as he described the scene of their family prayer time when his little 10-year-old daughter, Liza, said, we should pray for this woman. What was she doing? She was quoting Jesus in Matthew 5 on the mountain of the Beatitudes where he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who despitefully use you. A 10-year-old's private prayer time. Her voice was used to herald the very heart of the living God. What was it? It was salt and it was light. It was going forth to preserve. And let me tell you something. When Brett Kavanaugh's heart burst open and he began to declare truth, it was like flushing the toilet in that building. The very atmosphere in that building completely changed. Y'all okay? I hope you're okay tonight. I'm coming for you. I'm coming at you. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> Second, what is salt used for? It's not only used to preserve. I hope you didn't just hurdle over that too quickly, and I don't want to hurdle over it too quickly. We are called to preserve as Christians and believers the culture of our society. Salt is also used to enhance flavor. It enhances the flavor of food. Thank God it does. Followers of Christ are to stand out, and they're literally to enhance the flavor of life in this world. Christians that live under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 8. He says, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. Salt goes forth, and it not only preserves, but it seasons. What, what do I mean by that? It brings a positive influence into our world. Where there is strife, salt goes forth, and it becomes the peace. Peacemaker. Where there is sorrow, salt goes forth and we become the ministers of Christ. We bind up wounds. Where there is hatred, salt exemplifies the love of Christ. Where there is hatred, we exemplify 
the very love of Christ. We return good for evil. Man, we've got to be reminded of this in this hour. We return good for evil. But I want to remind us of something. Jesus didn't say, blessed are just the peacemakers. He said, or, or the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to understand there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. We're not called just to go along, just to keep going along. We're not to pacify. We're not to placate. We're not to just be compliant with the world so that we can just keep going along. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This will oftentimes require a very strong divine confrontation. I've had my own in the last several days. I've marveled and just gasped at where we're at. When you have a building surrounded by women women pulling down their underwear, filling plastic bags with their urine so that they can come into a building and pour it on those that are standing with, with Kavanaugh. When lesbian priests and homosexual priests show up and begin to pray, and they're full of the devil, I had to confront them face to face as they sent in their minions. Had no idea what I was, the kind of confrontations that I was going to have to experience. We were in a room of a, of a congressman who literally, I, I, I don't want to mention his name because we're videoing. In fact, I was, I was approached a little forcefully in the actual hearing room by the attorneys for the woman that was there. They wanted to know exactly who I was, what I was doing, what I was there for. (laughs) I could talk all night about some experiences I've had. We were praying in a congressman's room. And I was asked to lead the group that was packed in there. I had had no idea that they would ask for my leadership in such a way. And we began to pray. And then I really began to pray. Then I really began to pray. But I had my eyes open looking through the glass doors. And there was all kinds of chaos that was going on in the hallways. And I had my eyes open. And I was watching. And A woman came up to the glass doors, and and one of our team was standing with her back against the door. And the woman from the outside, she saw us praying. She was outside of those doors snarling at us. You could just see the devil in her eyes. And she started screaming out, that is against the law. You're not supposed to be praying in there. You're not supposed to be praying in there. And she ran up and she took the doors and pushed it in on one of our ladies and crushed it against her back and her head and hurt one of our ladies. She turned around and she said, we'll be with you in just a second. And the woman was screaming at her, you're not to be praying in there. They came back and by that time we had opened the doors and they, they ran in and They came in and they tried to take over. Well, I was forbidding their takeover. And she said, she she accused our lady who she had pushed the, the doors into. She said that she physically assaulted her. 
And I got in her face and I said, you're a liar. You're a liar. You take your lies and your chaos and you get out of here. And her friend said, I'm a witness. I saw it. I'm a witness. I said, yeah, you are a witness. You're a false witness. And you're out of here. Blessed are the peace makers. Makers. They came back with the cops. And they thought they'd bow up even stronger. And that's when I had had enough. And that's when I told them to take their lies and their chaos and take their demon spirits, take your devils and hit the road. Boy, they did. They did in a hurry. Those cops were stunned, like, wow, that worked. <laughs> wow, how'd he do that? How'd he do that? That worked. It does work. It does work. Come on. Use the name of Jesus. <laughs> It does work. You got to stand in your authority. We've got to stand in our authority. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, you know, just because you're nice to the world, don't think that they're not going to attack you. He said, that's as stupid as thinking a bull isn't going to charge you because you're a vegetarian. God is calling us right now into the, the work, and it's the messy work of what I will tell you, what I believe is a true reformation, and this is where we are going for our nation. My heart is burning, and, and those of you that know me know that my true commission is to help people burn in personal revival in their own heart with God. It's about being everlasting and ever burning in revival in your own heart because this is where it always starts. It's the heart of a man. It's the heart of a woman. We have to care and tend for personal revival in our own heart. And then God expands us to a vision of seeing national awakening from coast to coast. But I'm contending for something even greater than just what I would believe, what we have seen to, and know to be revival and awakening. I'm believing that God is leading us into a true transformational, generational reformation where it will, it will literally be the changing and the overturning of culture. That's what we're contending for. That's where we're going. And this epic battle, you have to be in it for the long haul. This is not some little sprint. you got to be in it for the long haul. And it is messy and it is vile, but it is worth it. It is worth it. I want you to write this down tonight. What is the work of a reformer? What is the work of a reformer? This is not everything, but I'm going to give you pictures tonight of reformation. The work of a reformer means that this individual is anointed by God to bring alignment. A reformer is someone who brings alignment. A reformer is someone who reconstitutes something. Write it down. Someone who reconstitutes something. It's someone who brings an alignment. 
a reformer is someone who actually levels something. It's like taking a level for you builders out there. You put the level and you look for the bubble, right? A reformer levels something that was broken down. They bring it into alignment. They reconstitute it in its structure and in its order. That's what a reformer does. A reformer does beyond that. They balance things. It's a work of repairing and restoring what has been broken down or corrupted. I'm preaching prophetically to you. This is where God is calling his church, his ecclesia, not just the local church to just be. We have to be the loving flock of God, but we have to be a place where young lambs learn how to grow into mighty roaring lions to do the work of reformation in this hour. And it, I'm telling you, it is required in this hour that we grow to a level of maturity that we don't insulate our lives, put ourselves Back in our corner so far, Jesus said, don't hide the lamp. Don't you hide your light. It's foolish to have a light and then to hide it. There is an epic commission and an epic calling going out to take this light into the darkness. Reformation. It means to align. It means to level, to balance. It means to reconstitute. Let me be clear tonight, friends. Let me be clear. Our assignment as salt and light is not just to be sweet and kind and nice, compliant Christians. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are going to have to begin to engage in real cultural battles. I don't, look, my responsibility is to equip you and build you, okay? That, that's my responsibility. I'm not here to offend you. But if the cat is rubbed the wrong Way, let the cat turn around tonight. <laughs> hear my heart. Please hear my heart. Help us, Lord. The Lord wants to use us to restore society and this culture today here in America. We desperately, desperately need to be returned to righteousness and justice which is the very throne of God. It is the very foundations of the throne of God. It's the very foundation of the throne of God. I want to give you a picture of Reformation. It's found in Isaiah 58 and verse 12. Some of you are about to walk in the land of Israel. Many of our team members are not here tonight, but many are. And Isaiah writes, and he's very poetic. He, he, he's such a visionary poetically as he writes so that we get a visual grasp on what it looks like, what is coming. The Holy Spirit breathes us into him, and he says, he says in Isaiah 58 and verse 12, he says, Those from among you, they shall build the old waste places. 
You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Those of you that go into Israel, you're, you're literally about to see this. A nation that was absolutely desolate until May 14th, 1948. Shall a nation be born in a day? Isaiah 66. Shall a nation be born in a day? Yet when Zion travailed, it brought forth her sons and her daughters. That prophecy was fulfilled of Isaiah 66. A nation was born in a day, May 14th, 1948. And the prophecy here of Isaiah says, those from among you shall build up the old waste places. Now, I'm preaching prophetically to you. Understand that. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairs of the breach, the restorers of the streets to dwell in. This is the picture of restoration. This is the picture of reformers, the work of reformers. What do they do? They build up the old waste places. They raise up the foundations. They go back and they reconstitute the very pillars. Come on. They go back and they reconstitute the very pillars that hold a nation together. Now you understand why we're in such epic warfare at this time. Because the reformer generation is arising to restore what was. You should be called the repairer. A reformer is a repairer. They raise up the foundations. And in Isaiah 64, or 61, verse 4. Isaiah 61, verse 4. Somebody get your phone. Answer your phone. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations and strangers shall stand and feed your flocks and the sons of the foreigner. I want you to get the picture tonight. The reformers, they rebuild the old ruins. Folks, listen to me. It doesn't take a whole lot of prophetic revelation to see the desolation in America right now. The ruined cities. The foundations that have been rocked to the core. Y'all okay? And this is an hour where God is raising up reformers. And the enemy will do anything he can to stop the reformers. But his plans are not going to work. His plans are not going to work. They won't prevail. They restore the foundations. They restore truth. I believe reformers are the kind of individuals, when they look at a situation, when they look at a tree, stay with me, please, stay with me. A reformer, when they look at the tree, when they look at the situation, they don't deal with the leaves that are blowing in the wind. Because leaves come and go. I said leaves come and go. They grow and fall. They grow and fall. A reformer looks at the tree and begins to investigate the root system. Begin to investigate the root system. Are the roots right? Is the structure right? Is the structure right? You know, when you go up to a beautiful building and you look at the beautiful edifice of a building, 
You don't, you don't walk up and go, wow, what a magnificent foundation. Right? Because the foundation is hidden. It is hidden. But it is the most important part of that structure. I'm preaching to you prophetically. The foundation, the roots are hidden underneath. They have to be examined properly. America is being watched and listened to even now from the throne of God. And nothing's getting past God. And make no mistake, God is not mocked. The God mockers... The self-proclaimed enemies of God may think they're getting away with it, but they are not. God is calling the reformer generation now back to the foundations, back to the roots, back to our founders, our foundation. Proverbs 22, in verse 28 It says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. Ladies and gentlemen, our very foundation of this land and the final authority of this land is the God-breathed, inspired Word of God. You cannot walk. You cannot walk through our nation's capital without seeing the Word of God laid in marble and stone. It's everywhere. There it is as a billboard everywhere. Monument after monument, our founding fathers crying out to us, this is what will save your land. This is the final authority. This is the ancient landmarks of our land. And they cry out to us like prophets of old. Yet who has an ear to hear? Who has an eye to see? Who will listen to the voice of wisdom that cries out in the streets day and night? cannot believe the vile wickedness that I have seen with my own eyes. All in the name of our rights. I tell you the question now, this hour, the question right now is who will honor the heart of God and obey the word of the Lord? Who Who will fear and tremble at the voice of God? Who will honor the heart of God? Who will honor His word? That is the question in this hour. Who will rise up and say, as for me, I'm on the Lord's side. We talked about Joshua 5 a few weeks ago when the Lord literally shows up on the battlefield and Joshua approaches him, he's perplexed. He doesn't understand what's going on. The Lord shows up with a sword drawn in his hand. He goes, uh, man, who are you? Are you are you for our enemies or are you for us? And the Lord just says, no. I was asked in that room by the attorneys of that woman, who are you here with? I said, I'm here with myself.
what are you doing? I'm here interceding and praying for the Kavanaugh family. (laughs) Who is on the Lord's side? I'm not being political right now. I'm not being political. Wow. I'm trying. I've used this word in this here at Victory before, but this is the word kardazitso. It's a Greek word, kardazitso. And the word is used, and it means to adjust and put a thing back to its appropriate position. Listen to it again. It means to adjust and put a thing back into its appropriate position. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three or four verses here. Matthew 4, 21. Put them in your notes. Just put them in your notes. Matthew 4, 21. The word kardazitso means you, you see a picture of the disciples mending their nets and putting them back together. You, some of you are about to walk on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> You're about literally ready to walk on the Sea of Galilee. And you, you will see in your, uh, your anointed imagination the disciples standing on the Sea of Galilee, mending their nets. What is this a picture of? It is the picture of Kartazitso. When The word there in Matthew 4.21, when they were mending their nets, what is that? It's the work of reformation. It means to reconstitute. Whatever was torn apart has to be sewn back together again. You see what I'm saying? The net has to come back in its appropriate alignment. That's what the disciples were doing. They were mending their nets. Then in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about kardazitso, and the word is there to show us how to repair schisms or relational breaks inside the church. Because people get out of alignment. People get whack. (laughs) In the Greek, whack means figure it out. It means whacked. Thank you. Now you're preaching to me. It means whacked. In Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul talks again to the church of Galatia, and he brings the word out again. It's about restoring broken lives. I want to say again, kardazitso means to adjust and put something back into its appropriate position. It's literally like a picture of a bone that is out of joint, a bone that is broken, and it's snapped back into its place. That is the work of reformers. What has been broken has to be reconstituted. What has been broken has to be healed. What has been torn apart has to be mended back together. Now, understand this. I'm not just preaching to get amens. I'm talking about receiving a commission that God wants you to be a reformer in this hour to go save our society. God's going to call you. God's going to equip you and anoint you to go into the filth and be a reformer. (laughs) I know this word isn't for everybody. Because I know, I know there's a lot of Christians that just want to sit on their back porch and watch the grass grow. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. I'm not, I'm not a guy who just wants to insulate myself from the world. And, and listen, again, this may offend you tonight. I think, I think we have really done ourselves, the kingdom of God, a disservice by sitting in renewal and revival meetings and just enjoying ourselves and enjoying ourselves while Satan 
has literally discipled America. He's fine with you dancing in services and getting blessings. But he's not fine when you start invading the culture. See, the kingdom of God was never meant to retreat from culture. The kingdom of God was always anointed and meant to go forth to literally shape culture. Never to retreat from it. But while we've been having nice services, the enemy has been discipling our nation. We have to have such a grand awakening, ladies and gentlemen. It may be, listen, for the church, hear me, look, look this way, please. This may be a rude awakening before there's a great awakening. God may come to us so fierce and so strong, it may be a very harsh and rude awakening. If I would have taken all of you to Washington and if you were able to watch what I watched with my own eyes. I'm contemplating a lot of things. I could not shut off my rivers of tears in my hotel room. And the Lord just keeps saying, son, look at the darkness. Look at this and let it bother you. Let it bother you. There is a generation that is crying out for true righteousness. I want to take Kartazitsa to a whole nother level because what I'm contending for is that America experiences a divine Kartazitsa, which means we are restored to our highest and reconstituted to our highest divine purpose and our prophetic destiny again. I want you to go to 2 Timothy. I'm almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. I'm just about done. I'm just about done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation tonight. I'm beginning in verse 1. But you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves, and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things, and they will strut around in their arrogant pride, and they will mock all that is right. <laughs> I want to read that again. They will boast of great things, and they will strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. God help us. Jesus, save America. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. I want to read that again. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. 
with brutal treachery. They will act without restraint, bigoted, wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of the world more than the pleasures of a loving God. They pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Let that sink in. In 1994, a prophet to the nations and to our nation named Leonard Ravenhill went to go be with Jesus. When we lived in Dallas, Texas, I took a day to go to Leonard Ravenhill's grave and just spend a day there praying. Next to Leonard Ravenhill's grave is Keith Green. Some of you will remember Keith Green. Next to his grave is Steve Hill's grave, the great evangelist of the Brownsville Revival. They went home way too early, way too early. Leonard Ravenhill said these words, and they ring like an alarm in my spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. You understand that windows open and windows close? Y'all get that? Y'all understand that doors open and doors close. You have to seize the opportunity. But the church has been sleeping in the light, missing decades of opportunity, banking on God's in control. Really? Really? I'm not Catholic, but it was Augustine. He he was the one that said, without us or without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. It is a divine partnership. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. God is summoning us now. He is summoning us. Who will hear the voice of God? Who will step up against the evildoers? Who will step up and bring righteousness? Who will do it? Who will seize this moment? Who will actually risk their own reputation and risk everything to shape history right now? Who will do that? We've been told, we've been told through television this week, even by Brett Kavanaugh, that any good man or woman nowadays doesn't even want to come into this arena for fear what would happen to them. I ask you, who will be bold as lions? Who will be brave? Who will be courageous in this hour to step forward regardless of the cost? Who will be the voice to tell America that abortion is the murder of innocent children? You can't say that from the pulpit. That's political. No, it's not political, ladies and gentlemen. It's morality. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. Come on, it's the Bible. My God. 
I'm about to close. I said that 10 minutes ago. I'm about to close, I promise. <laughs> Lou Engle is a prophet and an intercessor that I love and I highly respect. And I quoted Lou Engle in my book, my first book, Unstoppable and Unquenchable Fire, and I'm closing with this. This is what Lou Engle said. Listen to these words. He said, every revolution, in every revolution, someone is needed to preach it. Don't be distracted right now. Don't be distracted. In every revolution, someone is needed to preach it, praise it, print it, pray it, paint it, promote it. In every arena of judicial crisis for justice, God always has an Esther being prepared in the background. Where there is a Hitler, God had a Churchill. Where there is a Jezebel, God has an Elijah being prepared. The question that remains to us in this hour is this. Will the people who have been prepared to seize this moment risk everything, renouncing their own self-promotion to become the very hinge of history? I lay this charge to you as your leader tonight, or maybe as your brand new friend as you've been coming in through these doors of this place, this makeshift church, <laughs> at the Realtors Association. <laughs> Look at all these people we never knew staring at us along these walls. <laughs> None of these are Leonard Ravenhill, I guarantee you. <laughs> But here we are, here we are, here we are. But I lay this in your heart tonight. Who will let God mess with, with them? Does God have permission to mess with you? Does God have permission to really mess with you? Or is your life too neat, tidy, you're all tucked into bed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm asking a real question tonight. Because God wants to call us into something that is very fierce. God wants to call the church into an aggressive work, an aggressive work that's going to require intensity and boldness. We're going to have to know how to be gentle as doves. We're going to have to know how to be wise as serpents. We're going to have to know when to be quiet. We're going to have to know when to speak. But when we speak, we better have the word of the Lord in our mouths. And we better have no compromise in our spirit as an ambassador of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That doesn't mean that we become religious and, we, and, and that we're against people. Ladies and gentlemen, our fight is not against flesh and blood.
Our fight is not against flesh and blood. I went back to my hotel room. I let myself weep. I looked into the eyes of these young people being used as pawns, paid to riot, paid. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And they're lost. And it hurts me. It hurts me that they're so lost and they need Jesus. We desperately need a revival of a magnitude we've never known and seen before throughout this nation. We need a national awakening. We need a national great awakening that leads us into a grand reformation. Some of you are going to go through very unique changes in this next year. God's going to redesign your life. He's going he's to redesign your priorities. He's going to call you into something that's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to bother you. Be flexible. Be flexible. Be changeable. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not break. <laughs> I got that right out of the Beatitudes. No, I did not. <laughs> Let God work with you. Let God call you. Let God turn your gaze maybe towards the government mountain. Let God turn your gaze towards the media or arts mountain or, the, or the, the, the mountain of family or the mountain of education. Let God put a, a word that's burning in you, a desire to say, I want to use you to, be, to bring transformation. You'll have to deal with your own humanity. Lord, who am I? I thought the same thing. While the eyes of millions of people were looking into that room, God, why am I here? I knew why I was there, but still I was so humbled. God, how am I here? How did you get me here? How did you even get me into this room? I never dreamed that you'd put me in this room. God wants to give you a heavenly assignment. Some of you will become reformers. Some of you are already destined to be reformers. And that's honestly why God's yoked you with this ministry. Because it's the anointing that's on this house. It's for revival. It's for awakening. It's for reformation. It's who we are. That's who this family is. There's no denying it. There's no escaping it and getting away from it. And I will not compromise it. And I won't apologize for it either. Let God lasso you. Let God harness you and say, son, daughter, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. This is where I want to send you. Will you go? Can you see Jesus before the throne? coming out from the throne of his father and saying, who will go for us? And Isaiah, his heart is broken. He said, oh God, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Oh God, my heart is broken. 
He sends an angel. He touches the coal to his lips. He sends an angel with a tongue, with the, with the coal, and touches Isaiah's lips. And then the Lord cries out. He says, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah stands up boldly and he says, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. May you hear the call of God. May you let the fire of God burn in you. May you let the fire of God burn in you. May you be the one who says, here am I, God, send me. You're not going in your own giftedness. You're not going in your own talent. You're not even going in your own strength. You're going in His. You're going in His power. You're going in His righteousness and His justice. God has a grand call for all of us. It's time we seize our moment. We're going to seize our moment. Folks, we're going to seize our moment. We're going to seize our moment. Come on, we're going to seize our moment. We're going to seize our moment. Come on, we're going to seize our moment. Glory to God. Glory to God. I need to just seal this with a prayer, and then I'm going to have all of you that are coming to Israel with us. we got a number of our team tonight that are here and a number that are out. But we're going to anoint you and pray for you in just a moment. But I want to pray. Would you just put your Bibles aside, put your hands out. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, for the sons and daughters of the living God. I thank you for the sons and daughters of the living God. I thank you for it was for such a time as this that you spoke us into this time. To this time, to this hour, to this generation, you placed us here. We're here now. Lord, I pray that my friends, my covenant brothers, my covenant sisters will answer your voice and they will tremble at your word. They will tremble. They will tremble at your holy word. Lord, use us. Use us, Lord. Give us the courage to keep saying yes to you. Give us the courage to change. Give us the courage to repent and to be changeable. Father, I ask that you would use us to be a a fire that is lit for this region and for our nation. That would be salt, that would be light, and it would be your glory within God. Your glory within, radiating God. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The lights will go off tonight. This time will be over. The air conditioning will be shut off. Parking light lot, parking lot lights will go off. But the meeting is not over. The Holy Spirit will continue to speak to you through the night hours. You'll put your head on your pillow. The Holy Spirit will keep talking. He will keep giving you an invitation, courting you into an invitation. 
Will you walk with me, son? Will you walk with me, daughter? Will you do this? Will you partner with me? Will you, will you cooperate with me? Will you do this? I have need of you. I want you. I desire you. Will you agree with me and partner with me to do this? So I say, Lord, speak. I say, Lord, speak. Speak clearly. Give dreams. Give revelation. Give vision. Spirit of counsel. Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding. Spirit of might and power. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. God, I pray out of this house, out of this house that reformers will go far and wide. That there will be such a grand commission, Lord, through the lifetime of victory, a church of his presence. You'll receive all the glory, God. You'll receive all the glory. But Lord, that you would literally commission apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and intercessors and world changers out of this house, Lord. That you would raise up powerful men and women of God who know how to pray and bring heaven to earth. Who are equipped and strong and courageous. Lord, I pray that over every child that grows up here at Victory. Every teenager, every young person, God, that the anointing of the Holy Ghost rests thick, thick, powerful, heavy on our lives to destroy the works of darkness in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.